Good morning, church. It's good to good to be with you. It's good to see each of you. It's always a joy to have the opportunity to preach and uh, appreciate Pastor Tim's work, the work that he's done in, in organizing this Old Testament survey overview that we've been doing. Uh, we're moving along, right? This morning, Lord willing, we're going to be in the book of Daniel. And when you just do one sermon a book, you, you move a little bit, right? But... And he gave me a few choices this morning, so I I picked Daniel. You know, Daniel, I guess most of the prophets, not not always the easiest books to interpret, right? Uh, But what an amazing book this is. I know this week I've been stirred and encouraged, and I'm praying and hoping that that will be true for you this morning as we walk through the book of Daniel. Daniel was written by Daniel. He's the author, and it was during a time when the people of God were in exile. They were in exile in Babylon. The very first couple verses we get there in this book, we we read this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. As far as time frame, the book extends from the beginning of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, the king of Babylon in 605 B.C., to the third year of Cyrus's reign in 536 B.C., Cyrus being the king of Persia. One thing is easy about the book. It's easy to divide it. You can divide it straight down the middle. The book of Daniel has 12 chapters. The first six kind of go together, and then seven through twelve go together. What's not easy is is all the interpretation in seven through twelve. But the first six chapters, we get six stories, or just six ordeals that demonstrates God's power, His authority over the affairs of men. And then in the the second half, chapters seven through twelve, Those chapters primarily consist of visions given to Daniel concerning the end times. And my goal this morning is this, it's to give you two major takeaways. I hope that you'll walk away with two major takeaways. One that we see in the first six chapters and another in those final six chapters. So let's pray and ask the Lord for help. Father, we thank you just for all that we've experienced thus far as we seek your wisdom and your guidance. Lord, we thank you for your word. I thank you that I stand up here and don't stand behind and try to come up with my own clever ideas or insights. But I stand behind the authority of the word of God. And so, Lord, would you use it now to encourage your people, uh, to stir us, to, to remind us of your goodness, your sovereignty, Uh, Your wisdom, your power, I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's the first point. First takeaway I think we can see in the first six chapters. Our God is sovereign. Our God is sovereign. And just as He delivered Daniel and his friends, so too He will deliver us as we trust and obey. God is sovereign. He'll deliver us if we trust and obey. Prior to looking at the first six chapters here, let's define sovereign. That's a word we hear a lot, right? It's a theological word that we talk about a lot, but what exactly does it mean? Theologian Wayne Grudem, he defines it as this. It's God's exercise of His rule over His creation. 
Further, he says, God remains involved in all created things in such a way that He he keeps them existing and maintaining the properties with which He created them. He cooperates with created things in every created action, directing their properties to cause them to act as they do. And He directs them to fulfill His purposes. Let's summarize. Here's a summary of all that. The sovereignty of God means that He knows of everything that happens as He ordains all things. He knows all things because He ordains all things. In chapter 1, Daniel and his friends, they're brought to the king's palace and they're educated. And the goal for, for King Nebuchadnezzar and his, his leaders there, they wanted to assimilate Daniel and his friends fully into the Babylonian culture. They offered them the food and the drink of the king. But Daniel and his friends remain undefiled. Look there in chapter 1, verse 8. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Daniel and his friends trust in God and he delivers them. He extends to them his favor. And I think this is a helpful point of application for us to go ahead and consider early on as we walk through this book. Because we see it take place throughout the book of Daniel. Daniel and his friends, they lived in a pagan land and they and yet they did not become consumed by the paganism. They're in a pagan secular land. The king is about exalting himself and his kingdom. King Nebuchadnezzar does not follow Daniel's God and yet Daniel does not become overcome. Instead, he and his friends are used to influence the culture. They are used by God to influence the hearts of those in power. And folks, this same truth is true of us. It's true of you and I. We, we live in a, in a secular pagan land. In light of the brokenness and the sin and the continual moral decline around us, at times it's easy to just want to quit, right? To just withdraw. Lord, pull me out. And, and until He returns, that's... That's not our response. It's not to withdraw. It's not to give up. But it's to influence. It's to rise above and point to the greatness and the power and the authority of our God. We submit to the rulers and the authorities that God has placed in positions over us. But we do not do so to the expense of obedience to our God. Many of you work in in pretty secular settings... For, for pagan employers, many of you are in healthcare, education, business, accounting. Some of you work for the city. We, we've got employees all, all over the triad, right? Literally in different contexts. And many of your superiors don't believe like you do. But you can influence them. Your prayers and your godliness, your love, your actions do influence those above you. In chapter 2, the second scene or second ordeal, we see King Nebuchadnezzar have a dream. And in this dream, he envisions this, this great image, this image of gold and silver and bronze and iron. But he can't make any sense of it. 
And there's no one who's able to interpret the meaning of the dream for him. And this angers him. It upsets him. He threatens to kill all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel and his friends are part of this group. And we see Daniel respond with wisdom and boldness and faith. Look there in chapter 2, verse 14. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Daniel's wise. He's bold. He demonstrates faith. He also seeks the Lord for help. Let's continue on there. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Daniel prays. And he leads those around him. He leads his friends to pray. And he also praises his sovereign God. Beginning there in verse 20 of chapter 2, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes time, the times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with Him. To you, O God, my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might and you have made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Daniel uses his influence and his faithfulness is used by God to influence this pagan king. We see this pagan king praise the sovereignty of God as well. In verse 47 of chapter 2, the, the king answers. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For who, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. So again, we see again in this chapter, Daniel trusts the Lord and the Lord provides. His God delivers. Let's continue on to chapter 3. In chapter 3, we see Nebuchadnezzar build this great statue. This huge statue. And he, he demands that all who are under his rule bow down and worship this golden image. Daniel's friends trust God. They refuse to bow down. And they're thrown into a fiery furnace. Look there in, in Daniel 3, verse 16, at how they respond. Daniel 3, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and He will deliver us out of your hand. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Daniel's friends trust and obey and their God delivers them. And it's not a 
a name and claim it kind of confession here. Instead, we see the friends recognize and trust in the fact God could deliver them. That they trust that He could, but if not, if not, they trust in His wisdom as to whether or not He will. Folks, this is where our faith really gets put to the test, right? Consider Pastor Saeed Abedini, who's being held captive in Iran, who we've been praying for. God could deliver him, right? He's strong and powerful, almighty. He could, but he's chosen not to up to this point. And the test for Pastor Saeed and his family is to trust God, even though he is not yet, and may never deliver his body from the hands of men. But praise God, his soul will never be taken. As a faithful Christ follower, he will be delivered in the end. Oh, might the faith of those persecuted, our persecuted brothers and sisters, might it encourage us to trust and obey even as we persevere, even amidst the trials we endure as we await our Savior's return. In this chapter, verses 28 and 29 of Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar makes an amazing confession. It's startling. Look at it here, chapter 3, verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn from limb to limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. There is no other God who is able to rescue like our God. Folks, that's good news. That is good news. Friend, if you're here this morning and you don't know God, you're in need of rescue. Your situation is that bad. My situation is that bad. It requires a rescue mission to save us from God because we can never get to God ourselves. We'll never measure up. We'll always fall short. The Bible says in the book of James that if we break God's law at just one point, we're guilty of breaking all of it. That's how high His standard is. It's perfection. And the only one who was perfect was the God-man, Jesus Christ. God is the only one who can rescue us from God. Because of sin, we all deserve death. But God sent His Son into the world to become sin for us. That's the truth we see there in 2 Corinthians 5.21 where Paul writes, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the very righteousness of God. The lifeline that rescues you from God, from His wrath and His judgment because of your sin is Jesus Christ. If you trust in Him and what He did on the cross to atone for the sins for all those who would repent and believe, you can be saved. You can be rescued. And it's your only hope. It's my only hope of rescue. In chapter 4, we see the humiliation and then the restoration of Nebuchadnezzar. He has another dream and this time 
It's one of a, tr- a tall tree that extends to the heavens and then is chopped down. And all that remains is the stump and the roots. Again, Daniel is the only one who's able to interpret this dream. And he tells the king that the tree represents him. And that just as the tree fell, so too Nebuchadnezzar would soon fall and lose his power. Daniel demonstrates faith in that he tells this pagan king that he must bow down and worship the one true God. Daniel 4.27 Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation is so severe that we end up finding him eating grass like an ox and his nails and his hair becomes exceedingly long and unkempt. And then at the end of chapter 4, we see him restored. Chapter 4, verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven. For all His works are right and all His ways are just. And those who walk in pride... He is able to humble. We're not for certain whether or not Nebuchadnezzar was ever saved. Uh, But we do know for certain that that his successor, King Belshazzar, he certainly was not saved because he was never humbled. Only those who humble themselves will be exalted. Everyone will be humbled eventually. But it's only those who humble themselves prior to death who will experience eternal life. Once death comes knocking, there's no more opportunity to humble oneself before the mighty hand of God. Don Whitney in his book on the spiritual discipline says the following related to our stewardship of the time that we're given while we're here. And I quote, Hell is full of people who have hardened their hearts while they still had time to repent and believe in Christ. Those who did harden their hearts while they still had time. Hell is full of people who harden their hearts because they thought they had plenty of time or thought they would come to Christ at another time. Hell is full of people who would not harden their hearts if they had the opportunity, if they had what you have right now. Hell is full of people who would give the world, if they could, to have one more opportunity as you do to respond to the gospel. Hell is full of people who cry out in agreement with Hebrews 4-7 to those who are outside of Christ. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, this ought to be a sober warning. There's only one who's sovereign. And you never know when your time is going to end. If you hear His voice today, today I plead with you, do not harden your heart. Repent and believe. So then in chapter 5, we do see this next king, this successor, Belshazzar. He takes the place of Nebuchadnezzar, but, but it consists of a very short reign. He brings in the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of Jerusalem, and he leads the people in praising the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And during this, this elaborate, excessive feast, A disembodied hand comes and mysteriously writes a message on the palace wall. A message that nobody is able to understand. No one except Daniel, who reveals the mystery to the king. And the mystery, the message indicates that the end of the Babylonian empire is coming. 
The text indicates there in chapter 5, verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. What we see in the book of Daniel is, is many kings that come and go. One king remains. One king stays the same. And it's that king, the king of kings, who gives power to those who lead. And he takes power from them. It's his to give and it's his to take away. And for those, any of us in leadership, whether in the church or work setting, we will be held to account of how we lead. He gives. He's the one who takes away. Psalm twenty-two twenty-eight says, For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. And we know, we talk about, we pray about, our current world scene, it's precarious. There are many ruthless rulers. And yet God ordains the beginning and the end of their reign. Though there are many rulers, He is the ruler. He is the only sovereign. Well, following the Babylonian Empire, the Medes and the Persians, they take over. And it's during the reign of Darius the Mede that we find one of the most familiar Bible stories. So I don't know if Jack, Kenaniah, Coleman, you guys still in here? Are you ready? Are you staying with me? I'm about to talk about Daniel and the lion's den. Those seeking to work against Daniel, those jealous of his wisdom and his insight, they conspire that the only way to seek to destroy him is to manipulate his love and his devotion to his God. They convince the king that if he would issue a decree to anyone who prays to any god other than the king for 30 days, that he'll be thrown into a den of lions. And Daniel, he doesn't obey the decree. Instead, he obeys his God. And Daniel and his friends are thrown into and rescued from the den of lions. Once again, Daniel's faith leads another king to confess truths about the God that he serves. Look there in Daniel 6, 25. Then, De- then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For He is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Again, Daniel and his friends, they trust and obey, and the God of Israel delivers them. The text in chapter 6 indicates that an angel was present with Daniel and his friends, and that this angel shut the mouth of the lions. In chapter 3, when Daniel's friends are delivered from that fiery furnace, the text indicates that a fourth person was there, a fourth individual who had the, the appearance of a divine being was present as well. And many Bible scholars consider these to have been Christophanies. That is, just pre-incarnate appearances of Christ. Well, here's the point for us. Just as we saw last week in the life of of the Apostle Paul, the difficult circumstances he was under. Our God is with us. He walks with us through difficult circumstances. He's the one who delivers us. And each of us, every one of us comes this morning with different battles, different struggles that we're facing. 
different situations and circumstances that need the delivering power of Almighty God. Some of you are here this morning in intense physical pain. It may be almost unbearable to be here. Some of you have uncertain family situations. Some are experiencing extensive financial pressure. We need our God. We need His delivering power. So whether it's a battle with with lust, with anxiety, irritability, unrighteous anger, and unwholesome talk, discontentment, discouragement, whatever it might be, our God is with us and He will deliver us. The question is, will we look to Him for help? I love that verse there in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Paul writing, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He'll also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. That you'll endure it. Folks, if, if you're here and you're a believer, as believers, we know we have the transforming power of Christ inside of us. It's empowering us to resist sin, enabling us to endure, even as we face hard, difficult, uncertain circumstances. He sustains and He gives us victory through Christ. Here's the reality. Another reality I think we just have to, to face this morning. Where we find sin in our lives, we can follow it to a place where there's a lack of trust. Where we find sin, if we follow that, we'll find an absence of trust. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden. They doubted God. Sin entered the picture when they started to doubt His goodness. And that's where we find sin, where we lack trust, where we lack being satisfied in God and God alone. As we've been walking through this Old Testament overview, we've consistently returned to the examples, two two main examples, that of Adam and that of Israel, and a consistent storyline, and that is the people of God desperately need need a king. God is consistently faithful, and we see in Adam and Israel, they're not able to remain faithful. They need a king. And many kings come and go and lead Israel and Judah, some good, most not so good, but none compared to the one who was to come, the promised one, the Messiah, the perfect one, the one whose reign would not end. Daniel is by no means perfect. We find this beautiful prayer. We use some of that in our confession and pardon. Just a beautiful prayer of confession he makes on behalf of himself and the people of God there in chapter 9. He's not perfect, but He does demonstrate trust and faithfulness. He points to Christ, the One who was completely faithful, fully obedient, even to death on a cross. And throughout the book, we see the power of God provide for and sustain one who has all odds against Him as He continues to trust wholeheartedly in His God. So as we consider this this morning, again, we must ask ourselves, in that battle, in that challenge, that trouble you're facing, are you trusting wholeheartedly in the Lord? Are we trusting wholeheartedly in our God? Friend, there's nothing that you or I experience that catches God by surprise. Think about that. Let that settle for just a minute. Nothing. Nothing we experience catches Him off guard. It doesn't surprise Him. 
There's nothing you're experiencing today He's unaware of. There's nothing you have experienced He's unaware of. There's nothing you will experience that He's unaware of. There's nothing you'll experience outside of His knowledge. And not only is He aware, He's deeply concerned. There's nothing that He can't deliver us from. Near the end of this beautiful prayer there in chapter 9, the angel Gabriel comes to, comes to Daniel and gives him this message from the Lord. Look there at Daniel 9 verse 23. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I've come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. That Daniel hears from the Lord, you are greatly loved. Child of God, though life in a fallen world is characterized by brokenness and pain, you're greatly loved. You're greatly loved. Oftentimes during our during trouble, I think what happens is, is here's how our practical theology plays out. God, God, you must be unaware of what I'm experiencing. Or you have to be unconcerned. Or maybe you're just unable to do anything about it. How's this part of your plan? How could you allow this to happen? And this leads us to then ask, how can I trust you? Continued hurt and pain and brokenness, it must mean that God is a God I cannot trust and He's a God that doesn't care. The logical progression, how we get there, it makes sense. And yet, it's illogical. To get to a place where we cannot trust God is a very scary place to be. We're alone. We're hurting. Some of you have been there. I know at times in my life I've, I've been there during a difficult season, uncertain if God's aware and uncertain if He's concerned. My head knew what my heart didn't experience. You might be there today. That may be where you are today. And if you are, I would encourage you. Seek out a pastor. Seek out a brother or sister in Christ. Seek out someone just to minister to you. To encourage you. To pray with you. Uh, to help you think logically. Again, the irrational thinking, it makes sense. And yet it's illogical. God is the only one that we can fully and completely trust. He's the only one who's always faithful. And He wants to be that for you today. Will you trust Him? Will you look to Him for help and strength? He is fully aware and He's deeply concerned. And if you belong to Him, here's an amazing promise as well, you will be delivered. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not anytime soon, but you will be delivered. The hope of heaven is ours if we belong to Christ. For those who are in Christ, we have the hope of heaven. This brings us to our second point in chapters 7 through 12 of the book of Daniel. And yes, if you're aware of time, although I'm looking, I've got still a little bit, but if you're aware of time, this is not going to be quite as long. But here's what I want us to see here, a second point that we can kind of take away from chapters 7 through 12 of Daniel. All earthly kingdoms will come to an end, but God is establishing His eternal kingdom, one that will have no end. Every kingdom on earth, every kingdom of man is going to end. But God's kingdom will endure forever. 
In Daniel chapter 7, he has a vision of four beasts and a heavenly court, which most scholars interpret to be a reference to, to four earthly kingdoms. The lion with wings of an eagle representing the Babylonian Empire. The bear that, that's raised up on one side represents the, the Medo-Persian Empire, with the higher side representing Persia, the stronger of the two. The leopard there representing the Greek Empire that was led by Alexander the Great. And then the terrifying beast with iron teeth representing the ruthless Roman Empire. And then there is the one. One who represents a kingdom that is not of this world. Instead, it's an eternal kingdom. Look there in Daniel 7 verse 13. Daniel 7 verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And think, think there, think Christ, think God the Son. There came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days. Think there, God the Father. And he was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And His kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. We see this truth there in Daniel 7. The kingdom of God will not be destroyed. It will last forever. In chapter 8, Daniel has another vision, this vision of a ram and goat. And here, the interpretation is that the ram represents the Medo-Persian Empire, excuse me, and the goat there representing the Greek Empire that will, will then take over. So we see that there. And then, as it comes, the book comes to an end, you could kind of, and again, I'm, I'm skipping over some things here. This, this would be great to go back through in a Bible study. We can, we can hash out some more of this, but in an overview sermon, you get the luxury of, of kind of, Skipping over a few things. But chapters 10 through 12, we see a single vision. One vision there. And it's a vision of this final conflict. The final conflict. And although the exact specifics of how it's all going to play out in the end, no one knows for certain. But what we do know is this. The righteous will be those who inherit the kingdom. They will endure to the end. And they'll rise to everlasting life to spend all eternity with God in glory. And those who are unfaithful in life will rise to everlasting contempt and shame. Daniel 12 verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge over your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as has never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Folks, our God is sovereign. He's a sovereign God. He's fully aware and He's deeply concerned with what we're experiencing. And ultimately, as His children, we will be delivered. We'll be delivered to spend all eternity with our sovereign, wise, and unchanging King. 
And again, if you've never trusted Him, if you've never come to that point of repentance and belief, again, I plead, don't delay. This life, it's all we have that counts for eternity. Let's pray.